Father in heaven, Lord, thank you today for the opportunity we have to study your word. Bless us today as we study and interact with come in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let me just ask you this question this morning since we'll make it more of a dialogue. Um, how many of you think we need some miracles today in, in the world? Yes. And uh, what kind of miracles do you think think we need? Healing miracles. Yeah, certainly healing miracles. I mean, that would be, you know, a lot of people are saying we don't have any cure for coronavirus, although it's interesting. I was reading a, some science this week that they're doing they're doing a lot of antibody testing and they're finding out that people many people already have antibodies against coronavirus and they think that the numbers are going to be much less than they thought originally however they're still high so it appears that there's already in that sense in some ways and that is the miracle of um, innate immunity and acquired immunity and God is already working on that for many, many people. But I believe we also need a, an additional miracle with that and other diseases. And then what about, what about <coughs> this guy, George Floyd and the others that have been, uh, you know, killed or at least that's the allegation. And then these three black men that have been shot, um, or murdered, and then all the unrest, cities burning down, looting, um, White House surrounded last night by all kinds of people, and the FBI and security had to be called to protect the president, and then the president this morning, um, well, last night, or when it was, something came up on my phone, is now saying he's going to deploy the army to various cities. So how many think we need a miracle? Probably need some kind of miracle. Um, and uh, so let's just look at that. What is a miracle? What would you say a miracle is, Selene? A miracle is something that is not explained by science and it comes from God, something that is unnatural to happen, I would say. Good. Is that in a good direction? That's good. Anyone else want to say what their definition of a miracle is? Something supernatural. Okay, something supernatural. Okay. Yeah, here's a couple definitions. An extraordinary manifestation of divine intervention in human affairs, says Webster. And something unique that breaks a pattern so expected and established that we hardly consider the possibility that it could be broken. A little bit of some definitions. Anyone else have another definition they'd like to add? I'm open. Anyone else? So, miracles. Uh, all right, well... There's another word for miracle in the New Testament, simios or simeon, uh, which literally means a sign. 
a sign. So a miracle is also a sign. In other words, miracles are not about themselves. They point to something or someone beyond themselves. A lot of you said this morning in your definition that it's something supernatural, it's something extraordinary, it's something that God has broken in, something is pointing to something else. So a miracle is never just for itself. It's to point us to something else. And if we say we need a miracle, we're basically saying we need something that's above the natural order. It's not in the creation. It's above the creation. It's not the created. Maybe it's the creator. So miracles are meant to point to something else um, beyond themselves. Now, a number of years ago, I read a book called Intelligent Design, the Bridge Between Science and Theology by a guy named William Dembski. And William Dembski, um, uh, I pointed out something I thought was very interesting. And that is, he said that in looking at signs, a sign must be clearly specified, otherwise it can be rationalized away. So if you want to have a sign, okay, yeah, this is true, truly a sign. It has to be specified first. Secondly, it has to be extraordinary, just like someone said. Um, that no one will say it necessarily need constitute a miracle, but it must depart from the ordinary course of events. Third, a sign must be clearly tied to some decision. In other words, if the sign happens, it must be clear what is to be done or believed. And then finally, signs are contingent. In other words, they can happen, but they don't have to happen because they, uh, they're actually delivered by a free moral agent who doesn't have to but can deliver signs. So you think about it for a minute. In the Old Testament, while the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, did they have any signs? Yes, definitely. They had signs all the time. I mean, they had manna every day. They had water from the rock. They had a fire by night and a cloud by day. And another interesting book that I sometimes have people read is a book called Disappointed with God by Philip Yancey, who actually says that you know, God tried it. He tried having uh, a time period where there were signs every day, miracles every day, and his people still rejected him. So what's a God supposed to do? <laughs> There's miracles every day. They complain. They, they, they want different things. And so the whole point of the book is, you know, you're disappointed with God? Well, maybe he's a little disappointed with you because <clears throat> he... <laughs> we tried all these signs and wonders and miracles. And Jesus says the same thing. You know, an evil generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. In other words, Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. I'm going to be in the grave three days and three nights, but I'm not doing other signs and things just when you tell me to. I'm not like some kind of divine monkey that will do tricks for you or roll over. In other words, signs are contingent. 
they, uh, they can't happen, but they don't have to happen. And sometimes this happens. Like Gideon, did he ask for a sign? Yes. And did it happen? It happened. And he said, if this happens, then I'll go fight. I'll fight with the Midianites. And did he do that? He did that. Saul, did he ask for a sign? He did, but was it given him? No. Because he was going to visit a witch. And, you know, God just said, you know, I'm not, I'm not giving you a sign. The Pharisees, did they ask for signs? Did he give it to them? No. He said, a wicked and adulterous generation. He says, you guys are wicked and adulterous. So in your generation, I'm not giving you any signs that you asked for. Now, this is, this is interesting. I mean, um, you know, so... Let's look now closer at some stories <clears throat> about science and miracles. Moses and Pharaoh. This is one of the great stories in the Bible. And uh, <laughs> in Exodus 3 and 4, God instructs Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt to the land of Canaan. And what did he say? Did he say, okay, good, I'm, I'm good to go? I'm what did he say? No, he didn't want to do it. Yeah, he says, how, 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 why are they going to listen to me? I mean, I almost got killed last time I was there trying to do social justice. And uh, then I killed somebody because I was trying to be just. And that didn't work out well. My social justice ministry was shut down. And I had to leave. And they're not going to believe me. So God says, okay, I'm going to give you a set of miracles. I'll give you a, a, a three-pack of miracles, a four-pack, <laughs> so that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared unto thee, Exodus 4, 5. So he gets these miracles, a rod that turns into a snake. How many would like to have that? I mean, you go to Walmart have a rod that turns into a snake. You have free shopping of the whole place, right? Everybody just flees. <laughs> you have a hand that turns leprous. So, and they can turn it back and forth. This would be really good at the doctor's office. But, um, you know, uh, <coughs> it'd be great in a nursing program. To say, I graduated from uh, wind nursing, and I just want to let you know that we have ability over diseases. Look, my hand is leprous. Now it's not. Or water that turned into blood. So they were. He was given these signs. It's very interesting. He was given these signs to convince people to do what they were supposed to do. They will not believe thee, neither hearken to thy voice. If they don't believe you at the first sign, then they'll believe at the last sign. So in other words, you might have to use a couple signs and miracles to have them believe you, God said to Moses. And they were meant to convince the Avengers. They were not uniquely specific to God, however, because what happened? The <laughs> magicians of Egypt counterfeited them. It says they did in like manner with their enchantments. So, um, 
Then, however, comes the plague of lice. So they do all these things and they didn't work, but then lice comes. And the magicians tried to duplicate the plague, but they could not. I don't know, they had a problem formulating the wings or making the thing fly, I'm not sure. But they could not come up with lice. And then they said this. What did they say? This is the finger of God. (laughs) The miracle of lice. Miracle of lice. Have you ever thought of lice as a miracle? But this is like the miracle of lice. Remember that the next time you're talking to a patient or somebody that has lice, to say, hey, look, in the Old Testament, this was a miracle. <laughs> They're not going to be convinced by that. But anyway, so the miracle of lice. This is the finger of God. All these frogs and hail and all these different things, they, they keep going. But even though the wise men acknowledge <laughs> that plague number four was the finger of God, did Moses or did Pharaoh acknowledge it? Not until the death of the firstborn. The plagues were very specific, like we said. Remember our point thing, they had to be specified. And the decision that God wanted coming from these plagues, physical plagues that caused physical suffering and disease, which should get our attention today. We have plagues that are causing physical suffering and disease. The plagues were very specific, and they had if-then statements. If the frogs overrun Egypt, then Pharaoh was to let the Israelites leave. If the locusts come, if this, if that, ten plagues. And Pharaoh begrudgingly took only the last plague to heart. But he did that only after it was too late. So, um, fascinating. So, how do we recognize the finger of God? How do we recognize the finger? How many would like to know how to recognize the finger of God? Is this a miracle or not? Now, I would just say, this is very interesting. The Old Testament... And the Bible pre pre uh, existed before what we call modern science, but it was in looking at these plagues that the scientific method was born. Let me show, show you why why I say that. How do we recognize the finger of God <laughs> by witnessing something that God alone could have done by witnessing a sign that is uniquely specific to God? The degree of extraordinariness that we require before attributing a sign to God depends on what events we are willing to attribute are unique to God. All of us seem to have some kind of threshold beyond which we would attribute signs uniquely to God. So it has to raise to some kind of bar, some kind of standard. Now, Francis Collins is the head of the NIH. National Institute, he's the top guy at the NIH. And he was an atheist. But then he began to study DNA. And as he studied DNA and the biochemistry of DNA, he said, this is so intricate, complicated, 
and unique that there's no probability that this could have just evolved. This had to come because of a designer. This had to come because of God. And he became a believer. And he's now the top scientist at the NIH. This is a great book to read. The Language of God. So, the heavens declare the miracle working power of God. Right? Unless you just kind of don't know biochemistry. <laughs> the second argument, which I found fascinating, and I'm going to come back to this, in Francis Collins' book was the moral law argument. So not only do you see, like Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And then it says later in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Both of these things impacted Collins. And he said, the moral law stood out for me as the strongest signpost for the existence of God. And why was that? Because it spelled out what was wrong. It was wrong to kill this black man or put his neck on there for eight minutes. That's wrong. It's reprehensible. It's wrong. And he says, the moral law spells out everything that's wrong, but not only that, it spells out what is right. And what did Collins think was the right thing in the moral law? It points out the wrong, but it points out the right selfless altruism, self-sacrificing love. He said, look, it points out what's not loving, and it points out what is loving. You know, did God have to deliver the Israelites from Egypt? Did he have to do that? Absolutely not. Did he have to come down here? No. So he's, God himself is self-sacrificing love. And anyone else who's like God begins to get involved in acts of selfless altruism. These two things converted Francis Collins, the top scientist at the NIH. Now, I could go through other scientists and tell you how they were converted by similar things, but I think one is enough to show you that. Now, let's go on. Next story, 1 Samuel 5 and 6. 1 Samuel 5 and 6. What is this picture of? You're going, I'm not sure. It's the, actually, a, it's a fish. You can see it looks like a fish, and it has a leg as well as an arm. It's actually Dagon, the fish god, which is talked about in 1 Samuel 5 and 6. Um, sorry for the pixelation. I didn't know it was going to look like that until I just looked at it. Now, in this story in 1 Samuel 5 and 6, <coughs> the Philistines were at war with the Israelites. They routed the Israelites, they captured the ark. What's in the ark? Law of God. <laughs> By the way, I forgot to say this, back with the Israelite out of Egypt experience, when they got to um, Sinai, what did God do? He gave them the law of God to replace the 10 plagues. 10 plagues, law of God. Now here, 
These people still the law of God. And what do they do once they steal the ark? They celebrate the capture of it. They dance around it. And they move the ark to the temple of Dagon. All right, so what could be better? They just conquered their enemies, and they have their God is more powerful than God of the Israelites, and so they put them in there just to show, but something turns fishy. The fish God falls over. They prop him back up or prop him back up the next day, and then he falls over again. You can see there, there's the ark, and there's the fish God, and they're going, Whoa, this is bad. But then something else happens. What else happens? Not only does Dagon fall over and get mutilated, the people of Ashdod begin to suffer physical plagues, physical sickness. Does this sound familiar? The Egyptians had physical sickness, right? Plagues that were allowed and sent by who? God to lead them to a decision, some kind of decision. Already, I'm fascinated by what I'm saying. Are you fascinated by this? Because now we have two examples. And by the way, are we living in an example where people are having physical sufferings? Um, I heard that's happening. So, and this is the, of course, the in the Renaissance time period, they painted every Old Testament story with buildings from the, Middle Ages, but this is supposedly them getting all the sickness there in Ashdod. I couldn't find an actual picture of Ashdod, but this is what the med medievalists said. You know, they're all sick. So they have captured God's law. They have it in with Dagon, but they look, they don't want, they're confused. The people of Ashdod, they say, hey, look, we got to get rid of this ark. So they unload it on the people in Gath. People in Gath, they say, sure, we'll take it. Then the people in Gath develop sores. It's becoming an epidemic and now moving towards a pandemic. Going all over the world. <laughs> they try to switch it to Ekron, but Ekron says, no, we're shutting down our borders. We're not letting it in. No, <laughs> do not send us God's law, the ark. Don't send us the ark because we're going to get sick too. <laughs> So they quarantined <laughs> the people from Gath and Ashdod. The people of Ashdod, oh, wait a minute. Okay, so what is going on here? <coughs> what do you think is happening? Anybody? Any ideas? Well, they don't know what's going on, really. And so they don't want to admit that this came from God. They, they say, look, say it came from science. Say it came from something else. We don't want to admit it came to, from God, but we got to test it out now because, because we can't figure anything else out. This is a novel situation for us. It's a novel situation we've not seen it before so we got to come up with some tests get a new cart ready and two cows that have calves and have never been yoked hitch the carts of the cows but take the calves away and pin them up then take the ark of the lord and put it on the cart 
It's sending it on its way, but keep watching it. It goes up to its own territory towards Beth Shemesh. And then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. By the way, Beth Shemesh is, I think, oh, wait, Beth Shemesh is a different place. But if it does not go up to Beth Shemesh, then we will know this is not his hand that struck us, and it happened by chance. What are they trying to figure out? The hand of God, the finger of God. And they come up with this, you might call it, what would you call this? Well, this is what I don't usually get to do when I'm preaching a sermon over the church. I don't get to take a drink and listen to you guys. What do you think, what would you call it? What? They're wanting a sign. Yeah, they're wanting a sign, or what would that sign be? A miracle. They want to see if this is a miracle. But they use, what are they using to figure out if it's a miracle or not? The animals? They're using a rudimentary scientific method, aren't they? Which they say would not happen ordinarily. Yeah. They're, so look at the logic. Look at the logic, and, and I might suggest the scientific method. <coughs> the Philistines are seeking to see whether or not this is a sign. The sign giver, they think, may be the God of Israel. The specified sign is that cows will go towards Beth Shemesh, and they'll have to go against natural law to do it. And the decision would be that they would believe that the God of Israel afflicted the Philistines because they captured and kept the ark. And their other belief might be, we might get rid of this disease if we come <laughs> clean and admit that God is God. How many think this is kind of fascinating? <laughs> if, i.e. the ark is drawn by two cows, goes up in its own territory towards Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. The sign is extraordinary. The cows that have just had calves normally stay with their calves. They don't leave them. And to move away from them would be to go against their natural inclination. It would be extraordinary. And of course, what did they do besides getting pixelated? They <laughs> went to the borders there. They took the cows, pitched them to the cart, penned up their calves. They placed the ark of the Lord on the cart. Then the cows went straight towards Beth Shemesh. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Having confirmed that the cows did go to Beth Shemesh, the Philistines were convinced that the God of Israel was indeed responsible for the strange disturbances in their land, including the plagues that they were having, the cancers that they were having, the diseases they were having. So, first of all, the sign was specified, couldn't be rationalized away, it was an extraordinary number two. Number three, it was tied to some kind of decision. We will let the ark go back, we will acknowledge God is God. We will acknowledge that he's powerful, more powerful than Dagon. 
course it was contingent, didn't have to happen, but it did happen. And why did it happen? Because God was trying to do what? Not only teach them a lesson, but teach the Israelites a lesson. <laughs> and that lesson would be bring healing, not just physically to their biochemistry, <laughs> but also morally. Wow. Two examples now. Now, now, now th th those two examples were for De from Dembski in his book, to be honest. Now, another one I thought of. I go, what about Daniel 1? Same kind of thing. Daniel 1. <clears throat> the sign had to be clearly specified. It was, it was. Look, prove your servant for 10 days and give us them only things to eat from seeds. That's the test. Second, the sign must be extraordinary. Well, it was extraordinary. See if it's, there's not an extraordinary difference between us. And that was 10 times. That's very extraordinary. Third, the sign must be clearly tied to some decision. If this happens, <laughs> then give us things that we want to eat from now on. And it was tied to a decision. And in fact, it ends up being now specifically seen as the oldest scientific study, but it was really a what? A miracle, a sign and miracle that ended up being science. Fascinating. Thus, if the sign happens, it must be clear what is to be done. Melzar gave them the things grown from seeds from then on. And then he acknowledged too, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged too. He acknowledges God. This is God who did this. Now, wait a minute. It's God who does it, but we can replicate the study health-wise. There's all kinds of studies that have been done. In fact, I'm going to interview someone on Sunday afternoon. is Dr. Richard Bloomer, and he's done over 80 studies on the book of Daniel, showing that this is still valid. But it's interesting to me is it's not only science, it's a miracle. Right now, in America and around the world, what do we need? We need a miracle. That's what everyone's saying. We need a miracle drug. Or even, it's kind of laughable, but they say we need a miracle vaccine. But a vaccine really is what? It's just like dumbing down the disease so it doesn't kill you. But it's just triggering the already intrinsic miracle you are. That is your immune system. I read through some number of miracle stories this last week of people that have survived COVID-19, and they all say it's a miracle. I was on a ventilator for a month, and then suddenly I got better. But when you look at their immune system, guess what? They now have antibodies. What happened was their immune system somehow kicked in. So we like to say, if we're secular, well, we're going to come up with something and we have the solution, but ultimately the solution is something God already created, our immune system. Fascinating. Finally, the signs are contingent. In other words, they can happen, but they don't have to. And in Daniel's story, did he ever, he and his friends ever say, hey, look, God, you can do this sign or miracle if you want, but you don't have to. It's up to you. Either way, we'll trust you. Remember Daniel 3, fiery furnace? God's a free moral agent. 
He could choose to deliver us from this fiery furnace, but if not, we're not going to abandon our belief and worship you. And it's that kind of person that God can especially do a miracle for because they're not asking God to be proving himself when there's already ample evidence for God. I don't know. How many of you are following me so far? What do you think? Now, now it gets interesting. We're just laying a foundation here. <laughs> um, miracles, we've talked about miracles, haven't we? Science, we've talked about science, haven't we? And we've seen a connection between the two. How many of you have seen the connection between the two? Now, miracles, science, and you, or me, or us. Look at this paradigm before we go on. Moses, he's given some miracles, some signs. He goes to Egypt. And he's given 10 plagues to convince people to believe the 10 commandments. The 10 commandments point out what's wrong and they point out what's right. They define love, both about what's against love and what love is. How many think that's kind of fascinating? Secondly, Philistines, they're given a plague because they stole the ark, which had the Ten Commandments in it. <laughs> they're come to acknowledge that the plague is from God and the Ten Commandments are from God. Wow. Next, Daniel. All the other kids that are over there eating the king's meat and wine, and they're pretty much plagued with ill health. Daniel stands up and his friends, and they say, we don't want to defile ourselves according to the law of God. And so they magnify the Ten Commandments. It becomes more and more explicit in the, in the book of Daniel. Finally, in Daniel 6, you've got God's law versus man's law. Daniel 7, you have the little horn power, which is attacking God's law versus God's people. The whole book of Daniel is built around the paradigm. A plague gets people's attentions so that they can acknowledge the Ten Commandments. Now, what about us? What about God's last day people? By the way, uh, could we give other evidence? You know that I can preach a long time, folks. How many of you realize that? But... I, one that I didn't mention, um, which is probably some one I really should mention, is the resurrection. Everybody has sicknesses. God comes and heals their sicknesses. And in Isaiah 49, it says he magnified the law. And when they looked at him, they said, look, this guy's the definition of love. And he's the definition of taking care of evil. And he's the creator. And he's the redeemer. And then he dies. And then he raises again. He says, look, he said before he died, he says, if I die and raise again, you're going to know that I'm God. I'm the God who can heal your diseases. That's biology. But I'm also the God 
who can write the moral law in your life because you are a disaster and you will hurt somebody unless I do that. And then he says, everyone needs resurrection power. And then we say in the New Testament, we want to have a resurrection power. We're going to get baptized as a symbol of dying to self and raising again. Powerful picture. What about God's last people? Do they have this pattern of plagues and Ten Commandments? Isaiah 8.20 is a text that Adventists have quoted a long time because they want to point to the validity of <coughs> the Ten Commandments. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. Now, this is a test. If this, then that. If a scientist, if a theologian, if a person is not speaking according to the law and to the testimony, don't follow them. <clears throat> this is the test of a miracle. We already know that. <clears throat> right? But a miracle is also kind of like science. <laughs> it's a, it, it reveals the scientific method. <clears throat> so if we have a scientist who has been involved in science that's going against God's law, we got to be nervous about that. <clears throat> and by the way, it's fascinating to me to look at the resumes of the scientists who would be turned to in the world today. And uh, what their track record is and how they've used science. Some have used science to actually go against God's law that are the loudest voices today. And they're being listened to by people around the world as the answer for a plague. And is it working out well? No. It's not working out well. So there's going to be this people in the time that speak according to the law and the testimony, and it says well, what's going to happen, what's going to be in their lives. Bind up the testimony and seal the law among my disciples. So they're going to be disciples that have God's law in their hearts and their minds. It's going to be sealed there. They're going to be sealed with God's law. Now, this is miraculous because there is no one righteous, no, not one. Everyone turns away to his, his own way, it says both in the Old Testament and the New. Romans 3, that's the big point. There's no one. Not me, not even Selene, not... Um, Dr. Follett, uh, not the Neville family or the Nelson family, anyone else. This is miraculous. And this is why the biggest quotation from the Old Testament of the New to the New is God says, I will write my law in your heart and in your mind. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. No one has to tell his neighbor anymore because I will know me. I will not remember your transgressions or your iniquities. I'm going to change things. I'm going to do a miracle. How many of you think this is the miracle we need? Was it the miracle that Pharaoh needed but rejected? 
Was it the miracle that the people in the Philistine, Philistines needed? Yes. Was it the miracle that Nebuchadnezzar needed and finally accepted? And is it the miracle that we need today? Is there health involved with this last day people? Revelation 14, 6 and 7. What does it say? And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them and dwell on the earth. Every kindred, tribe, tongue, nation, and people saying with a loud voice, fear God. What is fearing God? Deuteronomy tells us it's, it's keeping God's law. And give him glory. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory. So there's the health message. There's the law of God right there. For the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of living waters. In other words, he's the creator. He's the one that's over it all. He's the one that created it. And he's the one who can step in and say, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Get out of that city. So you have health. You have the law of God, specifically the Sabbath. In a last day, people who are sealed, who are disciples. And then Revelation 14, 12, where's Jesus in all this? Right in the center of it. What's it say? Here is the patience of the saints. They're in a very rough time. It looks like all hell's breaking loose all around. There's riots, there's diseases, there's plagues, there's destruction. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments. You might say the commandments kept them, right? Because we can't really even keep the commandments unless Jesus is in our life. And then it says they have the faith of Jesus. Turn it around. The faith of Jesus, which is a gift, not something they have, but something they, they're given, allows them to be obedient. This is a miracle. Is it a miracle to be obedient even once? It's a miracle. It's against, it's like going towards Bethshemah. It's a miracle. Anytime anyone does anything right, it's a miracle. The faith of Jesus leads to obedience in the context of water. Very high pressure. And what are miracles for? What are signs for? Are they for themselves? No. For a witness. They're for a witness. For who? Those that live on the earth. The whore. And one thing, one thing that goes along with what you said is Luke 18, 8, that says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And it is a gift that we can have, so he wants us to have it. Amen. And that's the point, I think, that what we need today. When we have someone kneeling on someone's neck for eight minutes, and we have racism that comes back up because when stress comes up, all the things that are inside come out again. Domestic violence is way up. Anger is way up. Um, and we see that happening. What do we need? We need a miracle. We need a miracle. And is a miracle possible? Is a miracle going to come by sending out the army 
Is a miracle going to come by? Doing all these various things? Um, no, what we need is actually a miracle. And as I was thinking about this situation with this black against white, I thought of instantly of John Newton, that slave trader who probably put his foot on the neck of many people, probably killed people. And then finally he realized, what I am doing is not right. It's not right. Somehow, miraculously, something spoke to his heart. Finally would say, I'm not the man I ought to be. I'm not the man I wish to be, but I'm not the man, and I'm not the man I hope to be, but by the grace of God, I'm not the man I used to be. And he was able to surrender to God, the God who created him and put together his DNA, but the God also of moral law, who said, thou shalt not kill. And by the way, the moral law was one of the first indicators that God also cared for people that were in a subservient position. He said, look, give them the Sabbath day off. Very interesting. Points out the wrong, points out the right. And what did he say in his great hymn? I once was lost. Now I'm found. Was blind. But now I see. Science. Miracles, science in you. How many of you can see what we're saying about you and me? God's going to have a last day people that are surrendering to him. And notice how the Bible talks about how he's going to use those people. And I want to be one of those people. I'm sure you do too. He's going to be able to point to them and say, here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for what? Signs and wonders in Israel. Do we need revival and reformation inside the church? Do we have problems with racism in the church? We have problems with violence in our own homes. Do we have problems? The reason Jesus has not come, at least, <laughs> what Revelation says, is because he doesn't have a sealed people. And he wants to have sealed people that bind up the law and the testimony, or allow God to do that in our lives. So that we could be for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord God of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you today that your great desire is to help us in the midst of a pandemic moment or a plague moment to recognize our need of a miracle. And thank you for making the entire world aware of their need of, of a miracle. May, may they not just see 
science as the miracle, but see that science itself wouldn't even be in existence without the scriptures laying down the scientific method and may many people come to acknowledge you just like Francis Collins did and many other scientists did as they look closely at the biochemistry, they look closely at the intelligence that was behind the design and uh, even connect the dots in people's minds should there be a vaccine that comes which many would welcome the, that itself is also just acknowledging that the immune system you've given actually is what gives us hope the innate and the acquired immunity that you give us enmity, you give us a fighting chance, you give us the ability to um, put ourselves in the right uh, place within your will concerning what we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do, to do to your glory. So be with those who are suffering and those who are fearful. Thank you for the many, many miracles you've been doing in bringing healing to many people through their immune system and the antibodies that have been developed now that we're seeing that that's happening. But bless those who are still languishing. And also, we ask that you would cure the moral ills in our hearts, on the hearts of our country, of our nation, that you would write your law in our hearts and minds, that you would give us each a John Newton Amazing Grace experience and give this nation that experience and draw especially near to those in the, in the center of violence right now, protect them, uh, direct them, but most importantly, connect them to you that they may not just have life, but eternal life in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.